All right, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, we're talking about speaking in tongues today. What? I came to the wrong church. I didn't see that on the internet. Um, that's right. We've made it to the part in our sermon series, chapter 14, where the Apostle Paul writes about the gift of speaking in tongues. And so we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, just a quick announcement. Tonight we have um, a, an all-members meeting at 5 o'clock. Uh, this meeting is for us to come together as a church to touch base before we go into construction mode. We're getting ready to break ground. Uh, we anticipate the third or fourth week in June to actually be breaking ground. Um, and so on Wednesday night, the 19th, we already have a groundbreaking service planned. I uh, want to make sure that you have that on your calendars. But tonight we're going to get together as, as the family and just kind of talk through things, go over the strategy uh, for our campus. It's going to take um, a lot of help to, to make it through this time period. It's going to be really inconvenient just to go to the bathroom here. And so we're going to need your help uh, in knowing how to navigate the campus, but also to help visitors who uh, may be visiting during this time to kind of, you see somebody who looks lost, just know what to say and how to help them find what they're looking for. Um, and so we're going to talk about all that tonight, just go over uh, attendance and numbers, but more importantly, kind of lay out the strategy for going forward. So that's at five o'clock this evening. I know graduations are happening. I think Alito graduates at five o'clock today. So I know a lot of reasons why you may not be able to be here, uh, but hopefully you can send a representative from your family if possible, just to be here to be a part of that conversation. Five o'clock this afternoon. All right, so we are in 1 Corinthians 14. We are on the last Sunday in a sermon series entitled The Gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, the apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth and teaches them about spiritual gifts. And so today, uh, we are wrapping it up with chapter 14, which the topic of chapter 14 is primarily speaking in tongues. Now, I wanna give kind of a warning as we move into this sermon today. One of the mistakes that we oftentimes make with the Bible is that we go to it um, looking for things that we're interested in and in doing so, completely miss the message. And, uh, and so today, if we're not careful, we'll get wrapped up in this topic and discussion about speaking in tongues and completely miss the main thing that Paul is trying to say here. Now, the topic is speaking in tongues, but that's not Paul's main emphasis. We're going to see it clearly today as we walk through this verse by verse together. Um, the second thing I want to say is this, that the reason I believe that there is so much division in the church over this particular gift, um, I want to speak into that and tell you why I think that is. So um, the, the old adage, birds of a feather flock together, I think wholeheartedly applies here. Okay? The more that I'm getting to know people who have the gift of tongues, uh, the more that I'm realizing just how embarrassing and uncomfortable it can be for that person, right? And so I think about seventh grade. You remember how awkward seventh grade was? If not, that's because you were one of the cool kids. Okay, the rest of us, it was just hard to fit in. So you found yourself gravitating towards other people who were awkward, whether you had anything else in common was beside the point, y'all were just both awkward, and so you felt comfortable together, right? So I think that happens with gifts like speaking in tongues. For some who are, are so uncomfortable, maybe they grew up in a church setting where it's never talked about, and so they kind of feel like the stepchild of the spiritual gifts, and so what tends to happen then is those with this gift gravitate towards others who have this gift. They all end up at the same church. Everybody is speaking in tongues. Now, the problem with that, as we've 
talked about with all the gifts is that in, in any one setting, when there's just one primary gift, you're missing the balance of the other gifts. And so if everybody is speaking in tongues and nobody has the gift of knowledge to help us understand what to do with this gift, then things can get wacky in a hurry, right? Things can get outside the biblical parameters in a hurry in those settings. So that's one kind of extreme in how churches will sometimes address speaking in tongues. Now, the other end of the pendulum swing is where all those with the gift of knowledge and insight and wisdom gather together and nobody ever talks about tongues And so if there's a person in the church who has the gift, they're scared to death, right? They're embarrassed. They don't know how to bring this out in a way where they they won't get kicked out of church, right? And so instead of uh, using their gift or asking, they'll remain silent or bolt and head somewhere else where things are more comfortable. And when we read the, the description of the church in 1 Corinthians 12, we see that God has orchestrated the different gifts of the church to come together and edify one another, so if God's orchestrating them, then, then God's bringing people together with different gifts. He's taking somebody with the gift of tongues and placing them in a church with people with the gift of knowledge and mercy and hospitality and, and faith and all these other gifts. And so we step into chapter 14 in just a minute. I wanna, I wanna read the end of chapter 12 with you uh, to set us up. So at the end of chapter 12, starting in verse 27, Paul says now, You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Then he asks a series of rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? And the answer is no. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? And then we apply this to tongues. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So Paul is gonna continue that teaching on spiritual gifts into 13, which we covered last week, how our gifts have to be rooted in love or they're like this loud symbol going off in our ear. They're not benefiting anybody. And now into 14, he's gonna carry this same thought forward. Look at the first few verses of chapter 14 with me. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in tongues builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be what? Built up. Now, you're gonna see today, I think, I hope, clearly Paul's main concern is not tongues or, or, or prophecy or any other gift, it's building up the church. Like, 
right? The gifts God gives us is a means to an end. The end is building up the church. And if ever my gifts, whatever they are, getting the way of building you up, then I flip the equation, right? And now the gift has become the main thing. And so Paul reminds us that our gifts are given to us for this sole purpose, to unite us together, to build one another up in Christ. And so now he starts the discussion here, talking about and comparing prophecy to tongues. Now he says something interesting here, and I want to talk a minute about what tongues is. What do we mean by tongues? So if that word may be kind of weird for you, think about languages. That's really what it means, different languages. In the, in the Bible, we see two examples of how this works. The first is in Pentecost, where um, the disciples are there, and the Holy Spirit falls on them and fills them and empowers them, and they begin to preach the gospel, and people walking by outside are hearing the gospel translated into their common language, okay? So if they, whatever they speak, they're hearing it. The Holy Spirit's translating it, and the apostles are speaking in tongues, now, the, the second way that we see tongues described and used in, in the Bible is what we would refer to as the tongues of angels or a language from heaven, okay? So this is not an earthly language. Matter of fact, you can't find a Rosetta Stone for this one, right? Because nobody on earth speaks this language. It's a language apart from earth. It comes from somewhere else. Now, think about this. I know, um, I know this can be a, an uncomfortable conversation, but um, God's language is not English, I just want to throw that out there for you, okay? So, so you won't be speaking English in heaven. I'm just preparing you for heaven, okay? It's not Latin, it's not Greek, it's not Aramaic, it's not Hebrew. God has a language, okay? And, and, and so English is, 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 is a man-made language. It's not enough, right? Latin, Spanish, Portuguese, Chinese, they're not enough. They're man-made weak languages. And so... So think about then, tongues then, as the language of heaven, a language that potentially we will all be speaking one day in eternity together. Now, I think in this section of the Bible, when Paul talks about gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues, this is specifically what he's talking about, is this idea of angelic language. He says um, here, he says... um, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, meaning what? There's no man who understands what you say unless there's an interpretation, right? Because there's not a man-made language like the one I'm talking about here. Okay, so what he, when he says that the person is speaking to God, what he means is this. Without an interpretation, God's the only one who understands you because he's the only one who speaks that language. Okay, it doesn't mean that you're trying to cut people out. It's just nobody's going to understand you. If you're speaking in an angelic or a heavenly language, nobody in the room is going to know what you're saying, but God will. However, if you prophesy in a common language, then everybody in the room gets a chance to hear, right? To participate in what's being spoken. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. And he's going to use musical instruments to illustrate this. Verse 7. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, 
how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? See, there's no benefit. Verse 9, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Now, he's not calling the person with the the gift of tongues unintelligent. What he's saying is that'll be the perception, right? People around you who don't know what you're saying, right, will, will conclude to themselves, you must be just talking to the air. You're not talking to me because I don't know what words you're using. And so for the people around in that setting, the perception will be that it's, it's not intelligent. Doesn't make sense. Might as well be speaking into the air. Verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But I, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So every language has meaning, including and especially the language of heaven. It's not just gibberish. It's not just sounds and syllables meant to stir us up in some way. Like there's meaning with the words. That's what Paul's getting at here. No, no language is without meaning. The problem is, because we can't understand you, you're gonna sound like a foreigner to us and we'll be a foreigner to you. And what Paul is describing is this, the body being separated rather than being brought together. You see that? The opposite effect is gonna happen. Right, if tongues is not used in an edifying way, rather than unite the church and build the church up, the church is gonna be pulled apart and you're gonna look at me like a foreigner and I'm gonna look at you like you lost your mind. Right? Now, continuing on. Verse 12, so with yourselves since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Building up the church is the goal. Your gifts are just the means. And if ever your gift is getting in the way of that, put your gift aside. Find a way to build one another up. Now, verse 13, we continue on. This is where he begins to talk about interpretations. He says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. Now, there's been some misteachings on this in the church that in order for somebody to speak in tongues, there has to be another person there who can interpret. That's one option, but here he just told the person speaking in tongues to pray that they may interpret because the point is who the person is that there is an interpretation. Because without the interpretation, it's gonna sound like gibberish, it's gonna sound unintelligent, it's gonna sound like a foreigner speaking, so we need an interpretation. So he just said, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue and my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, well, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. 
I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being what? Built up. Now here, Paul separates the idea of speaking from the mind versus speaking from the spirit, right? So he said, like, if I just speak in tongues and I'm just letting a flow of Holy Spirit consciousness come out and I'm not engaging my mind, it's not gonna be helpful for you. And then he applies that to praying and he applies that to singing. So he said, hey, let's engage the Holy Spirit. Let's pray with our spirit. Let's sing with our spirit. Let's speak with our spirit, but let's engage the mind as well. So let's don't turn off the Holy Spirit. Let's just turn on the mind at the same time. So like right now as I'm using my teaching gift with you, right, and fueled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, my mind is engaged. Hopefully yours is too. Hopefully I don't sound like a foreigner to you. Because if so, we're missing it. And then I love his personal plea here. Verse 18, listen. And I think Paul is probably anticipating that some people are gonna be like, you just don't like people who speak in tongues, Paul. They just make you uncomfortable. But look at what he says. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul is not anti-speaking in tongues. He's not trying to diminish the gift or push the gift aside. He says, listen, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you, but nevertheless, In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So he's not saying I'm against speaking in tongues. He's just saying in the church setting, I'd rather do something that helps you rather than that just helps me. Something that builds you up. Because remember, if it's me speaking in tongues and you aren't getting what I'm saying, I'm just building me up. But I want to build you up. And so I would rather speak five intelligent words, five words of prophecy, five words you can understand that unite us than 10,000, right, that divide us. Verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. Now let me talk you through this because what Paul just did is he quoted the Old Testament and then he makes this conclusion, this statement, he says, now tongues is a sign for unbelievers. Prophecy is a sign for believers. It almost sounds like he switched positions, doesn't it? It almost sounds like he's saying, now tongues is for unbelievers, right, to help them out, and prophecy is for believers. But what you have to do is you have to understand the passage he quoted, Isaiah 28. And Isaiah 28, chapter 28 verses 11 and 12, God is issuing a warning to Israel. 
and he's making a statement of judgment against them. And he's saying to them, because you didn't listen to me when I spoke to you in your own language, now your judgment is going to be, you're gonna be conquered by the Assyrians and they're gonna rule over you and they're gonna use a language you don't know. And so this will be a sign of my judgment towards you. You didn't listen to me when I used words you could understand. So now in judgment, right, you're gonna not understand what's going on. It's gonna be chaotic. And you're gonna know that this is my judgment towards you. And so Paul's quoting that passage and he's pulling it into this conversation. So when he talks about it being a sign, that's not a good sign, folks. It's a sign of judgment. And he's saying, listen, the person who speaks in tongues, that's gonna be a sign of judgment for the unbeliever. They're gonna know something's going on, but they are not gonna have hope and they're not gonna know what to do with it. They're gonna be like Israel in captivity under the Assyrians and all these foreigners are speaking a language they don't understand. And all they know is that they're in bondage and captivity and they don't know what to do with it. And so he's using that to describe what happens to the unbeliever when somebody speaks in tongues. It becomes a sign of judgment, not a sign of hope. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, the outsiders or unbelievers enter, they will not say, oh, excuse me, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, listen to this, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Isn't that the goal? right? I mean, is the goal that you would be impressed with my spiritual giftings and how well I can either prophesy or speak in tongues or my gift of hospitality? No, the goal is what? That the Lord will be exalted. We want the unbeliever to fall on his or her face before the Lord and declare, God is surely among these people. He said, listen, if you get together and everybody's speaking in tongues, the unbeliever is just going to be totally lost. The unbeliever is not going to be presented with hope. The unbeliever is going to be presented with judgment. If you want the believer to come to know me, you need to speak words that they can understand. Verse 26, what then, brothers? I love that question. What do we do with all this? Okay, hold that question because we're not quite there yet. What do we do with all this? What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Okay, so he's saying, listen, it's, it's important that you all come together and bring your different gifts. If any, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three, most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no, no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Now, just to show you that he's not being partial against speaking in tongues, he applies the same logic to the gift of prophecy. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets for God is not a God of confusion but 
of peace. Now, two things I want to point out here. First of all, as he's talking about prophecy, he talks about how it's important to weigh what is said. Did you catch that? that that's not just for tongues. That's for prophecy. That's for any teaching in the church. It's for what I'm doing right now, that you would weigh what is said. Now, how do you weigh it? What do you weigh it against? Well, he just said that the teachings of the prophets are subject to what? The prophets, right? This is our measure for what is true, right? So we weigh what is taught in a community group, in a Sunday school class, in a Sunday morning setting, somebody speaking in tongues, somebody prophesying. It's all measured and weighed against what is true. But second of all, he says here at the end, his kind of point for all this is that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that in our coming together, that we are to serve as a reflection of God's love and character to the world around us. And if that message gets diluted or confusing, then we distort who God is to people, right? So if somebody comes in looking for hope, they're not a believer, and they're expecting to find the answer in the church, and we're speaking a message that they can't understand, right? That's a sign of judgment for them, right? And they are not presented with a true picture of who God is, right? Because God wants us to present him to them in a way that they understand his grace and his mercy and his love. And Paul is saying, listen, God's not a God of confusion. So don't be a church of confusion, right? God's not a God of of chaos. He's a God of peace. So be a church of peace. So what then do we do? All right, so just a little personal note here. First of all, I didn't really grow up in church. I was 15 when I became a Christian. That's when I began my church experience. Um, And it was in the Southern Baptist world where this wasn't a subject that was taught on much. Just throwing it out there. Love me some Southern Baptists, but didn't get a whole lot of teaching on speaking in tongues. Now, occasionally though, when I was little, uh, in the summer, I would go to these uh, camp meetings, uh, which is where... um, the, the, the hyper-charismatics get together to do a lot of fun stuff. And so I, my first exposure to speaking in tongues was like on the far end of the pendulum swing. Like, yeah, people hanging from the chandeliers, everybody speaking in tongues, right? I just, you know, snakes, the whole thing, I'm sure, right? It's just kind of that whole wacky end of things, which is where you have all these people with maybe the gift of tongues and healing, but nobody with the gift of knowledge to go, what are you doing? Get down from the ceiling, get back in your seat. Like bringing what? Order, to the meeting, right? So that, I was exposed. So I was a little unnerved by this whole idea of speaking in in tongues. It made me very uncomfortable. What I'm about to tell you applies to everything in life. I had to get to a place in my Christian journey where I submitted what was uncomfortable to, to what is true. Listen, if you read this book, it's gonna make you uncomfortable. And I'm not just talking about speaking in tongues. It's gonna call you out. It's gonna expose things about your heart. Jesus is gonna say some things that make you feel comfortable in one moment and then incredibly convicted and uncomfortable in the next, okay? So I had to get to a place where I said, you know what, it doesn't matter what I'm comfortable or uncomfortable with, what does the book say? Okay, and so that's where I am in in my journey. Now, in the last 10 years or so, I have had the the honor and the privilege to encounter those with the gift of tongues and, and my Um, In in my impression or my opinion, it was done in an edifying way. Um, All of my exposure to the gift of tongues that was edifying was done in smaller group settings. Um, And that's just been my experience where I was with somebody who I knew had the gift. 
Um, even ask for permission, like, hey, I'm sensing this message from God. W- would you care if I shared it with you? It was shared. There was an interp- interpretation. The interpretation was edifying, and it aligned with Scripture, right? And the church was built up. So while I didn't grow up in that setting and I was uncomfortable with it, I've experienced this gift of tongues in a way that I would say is, is truly edifying. Um, truly, truly is. Now, the summation of what you know, Paul is saying here, we'll get to in just a minute, but I don't want to miss, um, you know, the forest for the trees here, right? So Paul's main point is that whatever our gifts are, the, the main goal should be what? Let's build up the church. Like, don't get, let your gifts get in the way of building up the church, unifying the church. So if your gifts begin to divide and separate, you're not using your gifts in love. And you need to hit the brakes. You need to tap the brakes, take a step back. Let somebody speak into your life and help you get things figured out because your gifts are meant to unify and build up the church. Not just tongues, all of our gifts, okay? Um, Now, the thing that Paul is describing here in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is, is this really beautiful picture of how the church was meant to be. And we've gone through all this over the last few Sundays, you know, the complimentary gifts coming together, your strengths, my weaknesses coming together to make this thing. But, but ultimately what's happening when we come together with, with our gifts is we begin to realize, oh, this thing we call church, it's not about me, right? And this modern day consumeristic perspective on church kind of gets flipped upside down. Where it's no longer, where is a church that meets my needs? Where is a church that I like, that sings the songs I like and preaches the way I like? And, right? and it's no longer about what I get. And I realize, oh, wait a second. I've been called to church to give, to offer up myself, my gifts, to bless you. right? So my two priorities coming into the church gathering should be exalt Christ and benefit you. Make much of God and, and build you up. And if you make those your goals, guess what? I'll get built up in the process, but that doesn't have to be my goal. I'll trust that'll be your goal. You with me? And it kind of flips this thing upside down. We realize, oh, wait a second. This whole church thing is not about what I'm, I'm gonna receive. It's about what I can contribute. And I've been gifted to contribute. I've been gifted to serve. I've been gifted to edify and to build others up. So what do we do with the gift? So... We spent uh, several months studying this gift and studying this chapter, the elders and leadership team, and we um, from there concluded with an actual stance on speaking in tongues and public worship. That seems to be the topic that Paul is talking about here. And so I'm not gonna read the whole stance for you. It's on our website if you wanna go look. Um, But what I do, what I would like to do is just read for you the final paragraph of that because it's gonna give us some instruction on what to do with this, with this gift, okay? So here's what we conclude. With these biblical parameters in mind, the elders of Solid Rock have concluded that the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues is a valid manifestation of the Holy Spirit's presence and power in an individual believer. Speaking in tongues is imparted according to God's will, to certain believers for the purpose of mutual edification and building up the church. As with all spiritual gifts, the use of speaking in tongues should result in unity in the body rather than confusion or division. Speaking in tongues is most beneficial when accompanied by the spiritual gift 
of interpretation of tongues or interpreting tongues in order to present a clear spiritual, excuse me, a clear message that is measured against the truth of scripture. Additionally, the use of the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues apart from a genuine love for one another can cause confusion and disunity. Paul's primary point, 1 Corinthians 14, seems to be that it is better to avoid the use of speaking in tongues in gatherings where there are unbelievers. That seems to be what he's mainly wanting to caution the church on. He's not telling you don't use that gift or that the gift doesn't have a place. He's just cautioning in that specific arena. So considering the biblical parameters and potential liabilities associated with the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, it is the stance of the Solid Rock elders to discourage the use of speaking in tongues in large worship gatherings. However, we encourage those who have been given the spiritual gift of tongues to use this gift. And here's some settings. Private settings, personal settings, small group settings. But specifically where those who are present are believers who are walking in covenant relationship with one another and where there is an interpreter so that what is spoken may be understood and measured against scripture in order to edify and build up all who are present. Now, the, the phrase in here about covenant relationships I think is really important, okay? I think it's super important from what we just read. It needs to be believers, right? But here's why we say covenant relationships, and I'll give you an example. So the people that I've spoken with who have this gift in our church, because we're not one of those kind of super charismatic churches where everybody's speaking in tongues, um, kind of have some, some sense of hesitation or maybe even embarrassment about it and don't know what to do with it. I've had four people already today come up to me and say, I finally get to let this out. I have this gift, or I think I have this gift, right? And so um, we were talking about different gifts in our last community group discussion, and we had a lady in our community group who said, hey, I think I have this gift. And, and you know, I, I haven't used it yet, but I feel sometimes in my prayer time, these words welling up within me that I don't know. Um, and then I feel like God wants me to speak them out and I haven't done that. Now think about how risky that is, <laughs> right? For the other people in that group who've already said, I don't have the gift of tongues, right? And that can be, that's risky. So that's why it's important to, be, to, do, to use this within a covenant relationship, right? Where if something makes you uncomfortable, you don't bolt and run the other way right? But you press back in and say, hey, can you help me understand that? Or what was that noise that just came out of your mouth? Like, you know, we can ask those questions and we can do what? We can edify one another. We can grow with one another. We can encourage one another. We can provide the gift of knowledge to the gift of tongues so that why? So the church is built up. And so I want a couple things. First of all, if you're here um, at Solid Rock and you believe you have the gift of tongues or you think you might, um, I want to know who you are. Oh, great, this is where he's gonna kick us out of the church. <laughs> not going on a witch hunt. This is not to kick you out of the church. Seriously, I wanna know. Here's why. Because I wanna bring my gift of knowledge and shepherding, and I wanna shepherd you in your gift. I don't have all the answers. I really don't, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll learn this together. But I wanna know who you are. I really do. And, and this is an open invitation for years to come, okay? So 10 years from now, you're in a community group and somebody's like, I think I have the gift of tongues. You remember this conversation? You'd be like, hey, have you told Jason yet? Because he, he wants to know. I do, I wanna know. I wanna know where all the gifts are. But specifically this one, if we're gonna, if Paul's gonna give a whole chapter for this gift, I wanna know where you are because I wanna shepherd you in that gifting and I wanna help you find what is edifying and help you find the reason why God gave you that gift and put you in this church. 
So I'm going to ask you to have the courage to come talk with me. Um, maybe even after the service or send me an email, let me know um, that you have that gift. And, and, and everybody who comes up and talks to me doesn't have the gift, so don't stand back there and back, I'm going to watch. Oh, he's got the gift, right? No, it could be something else. I'm not going Well, here's, here's where I want to land with. Um, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're an unbeliever, um, I want to say something to you. Listen, the most important thing you could hear today is that God sent his son Jesus down a cross for your sins. Like, he took your place. He took my place too, but he took our place. He paid a penalty for sin that you and I owe. And not only that, he took the, the, the sin uh, to the grave. And then the resurrection, in the resurrection, he conquered sin and death. And the Bible says that anyone who believes that Jesus truly is the Son of God, anybody who calls on him and believes that um, he is uh, the Savior and that he is resurrected from the dead will be saved. Like that's it, that's that simple, Right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Like those are promises from God to you and I just want you to know that. Um, more important than you understanding spiritual gifts or tongues or any of that kind of stuff, like I just want you to understand like God wants to have a relationship with you. He does not want you to walk out these doors without beginning that relationship. And so in a minute when we stand to sing, um, our prayer partners will be at the front of the room and the back of the room. We've got pastors and elders in the room. Any one of us would be more than happy to talk with you about taking a step of faith to trust in Jesus as your Savior. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to ask our worship team and to come up and our prayer partners to move around, and then, then we'll respond. So let's pray together. Um, Father, we thank you for not leaving us to our own ignorance um, as it relates to speaking in tongues, as it relates to who you've called us to be as a church. You, you show us this beautiful um, picture of what you've called us to through your word, and so thank you for that, God. Um, and now, God, what we want to do is we want to become a church that is willing to move past what is comfortable to submit to what is true. God, we want to be a people who walk in the light and transparency with one another because we believe the gospel. God, we want to be a people who, who rather than, than fleeing or running when things get hard, we want to be a people who press in God, we want to be a people who show up on Sunday mornings ready to exalt your name and to build one another up. Father, these are the works of the Holy Spirit. And God, we want to be a part of it. So God, we turn this time over to you now. We ask for your Holy Spirit to move through our hearts and minds. We pray all this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus.